Welcome to the podcast of Hope Community Church. Hope exists to be a church where people can experience the transformative power of the gospel in the context of grace-centered community. We strive to be real people looking to the real Jesus for real change that can have redemptive impact among individuals, local communities, our city, and the world. For more information, visit hopecommunity.com. Well, we've been studying the Gospel of Mark together uh, for several months now as a church, and uh, in it we're looking at uh, Jesus Christ as our one true king. That's how uh, Mark, as he writes his gospel, presents Jesus to us. And so we've been looking at him this way, and uh, today we come to a passage, a famous passage in uh, Mark chapter 6, where Jesus feeds, miraculously feeds, uh, 5,000 and uh, so if you want to follow along the passage we're looking at today, it's printed in your bulletin. It's uh, Mark chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 30 through 44. And so I invite you now to listen and uh, hear God's word to us today. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Fathers, we just sang about, uh, we do have many fears. We do have uh, many struggles, many things in our lives, many areas in which we do need you to comfort us, to lead us, to guide us. Um, Lord, your word tells us that uh, at your right hand, there's fullness of joy, there are pleasures forevermore. And left to ourselves, um, that's what we want, but that's not, um, we don't come to you for those things. And especially when we're afraid and struggling, uh, we tend to try to figure it out ourselves. I know I do. And, and so I ask, Lord, this morning that you would um, 
bring us to your right hand where we could and can experience the fullness of joy that's in you, um, the pleasures that are there uh, that we long for. And I pray for your spirit to come and open our hearts as we look at this story together. Um, Would you fill us? Would you even feed us uh, what we need as we uh, look at it? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the books our kids received this year for Christmas as a gift was uh, a book of five-minute Star Wars stories. And uh, the book tracks from the beginning of the the Skywalker saga, as it is officially called, and moves from episode uh, one through nine with a five-minute story or two uh, kind of covering each movie and, and tells you, they come together, tell you the whole big story Uh, But when we first cracked open the book and started to read it, instead of following just sort of the logical order of how the stories flow, uh, May wanted to skip around and read based off the pictures and uh, just what stories looked most interesting to her, which of course was fine, was great, except that it led to a little bit of uh, confusion. Because uh, like when we started in the middle, we'd read a story where Darth Vader was one of the main characters, and May would ask me, well, Dad, is he a bad guy? And I'd say, yeah, but uh, it's a little complicated. And then we'd go more to the the front of the book and would read a story where Anakin Skywalker would be one of the main characters, and she'd ask me, Dad, is he a good guy? And I'd say, yeah, uh, but it's a little complicated. And if you don't know Star Wars, those are the same person, and he starts good, turns bad, and redemptively becomes good again. But as we went through this, and I was doing my best. I, I'm, I like Star Wars, but I'm also not an expert. I was, I was doing my best to try to explain all the relational family and cultural dynamics of the Star Wars world. I also tried to explain to her the importance of learning a story and how it's important to read a story in its logical order, how to truly understand a story. You need to know uh, what happens before, what's happening, and then uh, what happens later. You got to know kind of how it all fits and flows together, a fairly straightforward truth. But I'll admit, uh, it's a truth I can sometimes forget when it comes to the Bible. I think often, uh, I think about the Bible like almost a collection of stories put together without a lot of rhyme or reason or intentionality, as if authors like Mark sat down one day and almost haphazardly just put uh, together these stories without thinking about how it all went together. But that's not what happened. Just like any other author, when they sat down to write, the writers of the scriptures carefully thought through how to organize their material in the best way possible to tell the story they were trying to tell. And of course, it was different in that they were led supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. But even as they were led supernaturally, this is how they did it. And so practically, this means when we come to the Bible, we need to read it this way. And when we come now to the Gospel of Mark, like we're studying now in our sermon series, we need to study it this way. And today is a great example of why. Because the story we're looking at today as Jesus miraculously feeds this large crowd is very strategically placed by Mark. And it directly follows a story about Herod uh, and a feast that he held at his palace. And now we actually skipped over this story between last week and this week because we're having to skip over some stories to make our way all the way through the Gospel of Mark 
by the end of the summer. But at the time, Herod was the king. He was the, uh, you see the sheep shepherd language in our passage in verse 34, and that's language for a leader, for a king. And that's who Herod was from a worldly point of view. And so putting these two passages side by side, Mark is wanting us to compare and contrast. He, he wants us to see the difference. On one hand, here's Herod. He's the technical king. He's the shepherd. And here's what his feast is about. And you can go read it, but it's about self-indulgence, self-protection, the murder of John the Baptist. And then on the other hand, here's Jesus, the one true king the shepherd. And here's what his feast is about. And Mark makes it very clear. This is the bad guy. And this is the good guy, the good shepherd. And for you and I who live in a world where our trust in leaders is so low, a world where we often feel like we're on our own and we have to lead and take care of ourselves. This is a great opportunity for us to look here at the feast of the good shepherd out in the wilderness and get to see what kind of good shepherd king we have. And so that's what we're going to do this morning as we look at this story. And as we do that, what do we see? Well, the first thing we see is we see the shepherd's compassion. We see the shepherd's compassion. To begin with, his compassion with the disciples. And we, we left off last week with Jesus sending out the 12 disciples, his core team on a mission to do a lot of what he's been doing, to preach the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And as they preach also to heal and do other miraculous works to show evidence that this kingdom of God has come near. And verse 30 tells us they did that. And now they've come back to Jesus to tell him how it went. And you see Jesus's compassion in the way he responds to them. And so again, verse 30 tells us that the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Jesus listens to their report and it's not hard to imagine him smiling as he listens, like a proud older brother, like, oh really? That's amazing. Yeah, tell me about it. Then, then what happened? He's proud of them for trusting him. Like we talked about last week, not necessarily for doing or being anything extraordinary, but in their ordinariness, trusting him and going out in his power and authority like he sent them out to do. And then what does Jesus do? Well, he recognizes they need rest. After all this hard work, he recognizes they're exhausted. They've poured out and they've poured out and now they need to be filled up. And so the, he invites them to go away, to be with him and to rest for a while. And though this is, this is not the main point of the story, and though they actually don't end up getting the rest that they planned to get, I don't want us to skip past this. And I know I personally don't wanna skip past this because this shows us so much of our shepherd's heart. It shows us his compassion for us. It shows us that we have a shepherd who knows our limits, who sees us when we're tired. And, and when he sees us when we're tired, he invites us to rest. He's a shepherd who knows that the most important thing isn't what we go and do for him, but that the most important thing is that we are with him. And there's, there's a short article by the great spiritual writer, Henry Nouwen called Moving from Solitude to community 
to ministry. And since I've been at Hope, it's an article we've come back to often to help orient our hearts away from the worldly productivity, always be doing more type of approach to life and ministry that comes so second nature for us. And as you can glean from the title, now and suggests a different kind of approach. It's an approach that's based on the example of Jesus that we get in the gospels like we're looking at here. One that begins in solitude, one that begins in rest with God, then one that moves into community. And finally, one that moves from solitude and community out into doing ministry for God. And it, it's a bit of a hybrid we see here with solitude and, and community kind of blending together, but this is the movement Jesus is inviting his disciples to after their first big mission, to move, move out of the busyness and exhaustion and to recenter in fellowship and communion. Fellowship and communion first and foremost with him before they go do anymore, simply to come and be with him. And I love that. I love that this is where it starts. I love that this is Jesus's desire for us. In his compassion, this is where the shepherd leads us. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. But like I said, this isn't at all the main point of the story. It's actually more of the setup to the main event. And it's here that we see Jesus's compassion stand out even more. As we see him with the crowd that comes to find him, that interrupts the rest that he and his disciples are trying to get. Because verse 32 tells us, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And I say this is where his compassion stands out even more because uh, think about what this would have felt like. Uh, as an introvert at heart who also loves a plan and everything going according to that plan, I can tell you what it would have felt like for me. It would have felt terrible. I mean, if I'm being honest, I probably would have been annoyed. I can imagine my heart sort of dropping in the boat, thinking about uh, this much needed rest and time alone with Jesus. When I saw this big crowd following us on the shore, waiting for us to land, I would probably want to say, hey, you know, we love you, um, but not right now. Right? We, we need some rest. We're off the clock. Let us recover and then come back and then uh, we'll spend some time with you. But what does Jesus do? Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And this word for compassion is a word that only shows up in the New Testament for Jesus. It's a kind of compassion that, that goes deeper than any kind of compassion you and I can ever have for someone. And the motivation for Jesus's compassion, Mark tells us, is that he sees this crowd and they, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And it's clear that's not a good thing for sheep to be without a shepherd, but I'm, I don't know about you, I'm not around many sheep. So I did a little research this week to help get clear for me how what exactly this means and how bad it is. And I'll say sheep without shepherd, without a shepherd are in a very bad place. So sheep without a shepherd, they can wander off and get lost. And the problem then becomes worse because sheep follow each other. And so for example, it's, it's I read at least that it's literally not uncommon for sheep to follow one another off of a cliff. Bad situation there. 
And then sheep without shepherd, they have trouble finding pasture and water. Sheep without shepherd can't defend themselves against predators. Also sheep without a shepherd, uh, their wool can grow so much that it becomes infected with parasites and can lead to other serious issues. The point is without a shepherd, sheep are lost. They're completely hopeless. They're completely helpless. And when Jesus sees the crowd chasing them along the shore, this is what he sees. He sees people who are lost, people without purpose, people without direction, people who are helpless, people who are hopeless. He sees sheep who can't live without a shepherd. And what happens to him? His heart explodes with compassion. This deep God only kind of compassion and he, moved, he moves towards them even in the inconvenience, even in the interruption. And a lot of commentators will say, and you can pick up some of the context clues here, but this group is probably not coming to Jesus with great motives. They're probably coming, hoping for some sort of a militaristic beginning to a revolution against Rome. And, and John even tells us in his gospel that after Jesus does this great miracle, that the crowd tries to make him king by force. So probably not great motives here. But even with that, what is Jesus's gut reaction? What flows out of him first? It's compassion. And isn't that good news? I like the way Paul Miller says it as he's talking about this passage. He says, what is it like to know that no matter how messed up you might be, the good shepherd looks at you with love surrounds you with his compassion, envelops you in his arms and cares for the details of your life. So the shepherd's compassion, we see it at his feast here, but there's also provision. Second, let's look at the shepherd's provision. And, and here's where we get to the miracle of the story. So Jesus, he's got, has compassion on the crowd. He, he presses pause on the plan to rest and begins uh, to teach them, to feed them with the word of God. And then, then all of a sudden a great need arises. Mark tells us about it in verse 35. He says, when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And this is a, this is a huge crowd. Verse 44 tells us it was 5,000 men and counting women and children, it was probably closer to 15 or 20,000 people. So it is a great need and potentially a, a huge problem if you think about this big of a group out in a, a desolate place, all of a sudden becoming really hungry. But in response to this great need, Jesus, he says and does something surprising. Verse 37, he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups and on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties and taking the, lo the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So Jesus responds to the problem by telling the disciples that they should go give this great crowd something to eat, which surely was confusing 
for them, but they go and, and do what he says anyway. They go and find what they can from the crowd and they bring him these five loaves of bread and these two fish. Jesus takes that, then he supernaturally multiplies it, has everyone sit down in groups and he feeds them, everybody there. And you, you can envision it almost like, a, I was thinking about it almost like a wedding reception, right? Where you've got all these different tables with numbers and like the DJ calls you up and it's like, okay, number nine, your, your, your turn to come up, you know, to the buffet line. You can almost envision something like that happening as the disciples bring the food over to all the groups. And the end of the story tells us it's the perfect amount, the absolute perfect amount. Everybody eats, all the groups, they're all satisfied. There's even enough for each one of the 12 disciples to go home with a little basket of leftovers. Verse 42 tells us they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. It's an unbelievable miracle. And clearly one that, that meant a lot to the early Christian tradition because this is actually the only miracle that we have recorded in all four of the gospels. And what it, it teaches us about is provision. And God's always wanted his people to look to him as their provider. It's what he was teaching his people by supernaturally providing manna for them in the wilderness. It's what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's prayer when he tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. He's telling us to look to God to provide for what we need. And it's what he's teaching through this miracle to the disciples, to everyone that was here this day and to us as we read it in our day. He's saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm your provider. I care about the details of your life. I have compassion on you, yes, but I also can provide for you. And maybe, maybe not always exactly what you think you need, but what you really need. In other words, he's inviting us to believe and, and live out of this truth that we read at the beginning of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But I know it's really easy for me to live with an I do want mindset. Uh, I saw that for me, even this week in a small way, the kids being out of school on Tuesday, having a delay on Wednesday because of the weather, it, it threw Sarah and I off our normal schedule. Um, I had to spend several hours during the workday on Tuesday afternoon getting some water out of our crawl space, just like everything felt off. And what's my gut reaction to that? Well, immediately my response is I start freaking out. I'm like, how am I gonna get everything done now? How am I going to have enough time and energy and rest to have the week I want to have, the week I was supposed to have? My gut instinct is a grasping, living with this sense of scarcity, like I'm all alone, like I don't have a God who can provide for me who can give me the time and energy and everything else I need to get done what he wants me to get done this week. But in this miracle, Jesus shows us that's not true. He shows me that's not true. We do have a God like this, a God uh, who's a good shepherd who provides for us. But not only a, a good shepherd who provides for us, a good shepherd who actually is our provision himself. And that's really what's at the heart of this story. And it's super helpful because sometimes a story like this can feel so neat and clean when you read it. It's like, okay, here's this big crowd with a great need. Jesus supernaturally provides for them in their need. Okay, so uh, that's who he is for me too. That's what he does for me too. When I have needs, he supernaturally provides for them. Okay, great. 
but yeah, you see this, it, it can be hard, right? It can feel so neat and clean. And you see this in healing passages as well. And, and for this reason, they can sometimes be difficult. And, and I know they can be hard uh, to preach because what about when Jesus doesn't provide for me? What about when he doesn't and, and when he isn't meeting my needs? And so as we're looking at this feast here, uh, we've got to let it point us forward and take us to another feast. Another feast Jesus would have with his disciples, and this one in a more intimate setting, uh, with more weight hanging over it, as it would actually be the last feast that he would ever eat with his friends on the very night he was betrayed. And uh, when you look at these two feasts, there's a clear parallel here. And you see this during the feast we're looking at today. What does Jesus do when the disciples bring him the five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish? Well, verse 41 says that he takes it, he took it, he blessed it, he broke it, then he gave it to his disciples and he told them to go and and set it before all the hungry people. But then in this other feast, what does Jesus do? Well, similarly, he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples, but this time he says something different. This time he says, this is my body, which is given for you. And after everything had happened, after Jesus was beaten and mocked and ultimately crucified and and rose again from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father and sent the Holy Spirit, the disciples would have never been able to see this miracle we're looking at today in the same way. They would have seen it as, as teaching that Jesus didn't come to give us bread, He came to give us himself. They have seen it teaching that Jesus is the bread of life. He came to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep so he can feed us with the only true bread that will ever satisfy our souls. They would have seen it teaching that yes, Jesus is our provider, but more than that, he is our provision. And that's what we need. When that gets into your bones, that's what really helps. That's what helps me not live with such a scarcity mindset, like I'm all alone. But it's what helps me to look at Jesus and actually trust him as my provider. And even to trust him as my provider when he doesn't give me what I need exactly when I think I need it. Because I know his heart. And this is it. It's a heart that explodes in compassion for me. Compassion so deep, it drove him to die for me so he could meet my greatest need to save me from my sin, to provide me with his righteousness and to satisfy my soul with a restored relationship with God. So this is the good shepherd. And this is what we see here at this feast. We see his compassion and we see his provision. Well, now, so what? In light of all we've talked about today, what does, this, what does this mean for us? Well, it's a pretty simple application. We follow him. It means we simply need to follow our good shepherd and just let ourselves be his sheep. And what does that look like? Well, practically it looks a lot like what everybody's doing in this passage. We wander around, We let Jesus see us and have compassion on us. We come to him with our hunger. We let him feed us and satisfy us. And then we go and be willing to let him use us, do the same thing for others. 
back to the surprising and almost hilarious, you give them something to eat that he tells his disciples. As he loves us, as he provides for us, Jesus wants to use us to then love and provide for others in his name. And again, like we talked about last week, it's not a call to be something amazing. We talked a lot last week about being ordinary, how that's all Jesus is calling us to be. Well, here it's a sheep, right? It's not a lion. It's not some other kind of cool animal. It's an animal that can literally follow other animals off of a cliff when left to itself, right? I think I can live up to that, hopefully. But he, he wants us just to come to him in all our sheepness with our five loaves of bread and our two fish, with, with our confusion, uncertainty about how he could do anything with that. But we come to him nonetheless and look forward to what he's gonna do with it. And that's really all he's calling us to do in every area of our life. We don't have to be as concerned about leading and knowing exactly what to do and where we're going all the time, but we can become more concerned, more focused on following, even if we don't know what to do or where we're going. Because we know we have a shepherd who leads us and he's a good shepherd. He's not like Herod. He's not like so many of the other bad leaders we have in our culture and in our world. He's, he's not like us. And so often how we are is we try to lead and take care of and provide for ourselves, but he's good. A shepherd who's so good that because of what he's done for us, he makes goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. And a shepherd who's so good that he will one day bring us home to the great feast as we dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd. And uh, thank you for the ways we get to see that here in this passage. Um, I pray that you would help me and my friends this morning um, to really believe this is who you are. And that this is who you are even for us, that you see us, you have compassion on us and that you provide for us. And ultimately that you are the provision we need, that what our souls need most, wherever we are today, is to feed on you, to let you nourish uh, the deep longings of our soul. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would, would do that in a real way. We pray in your name, amen.